0: right now, let's just thank Him for rescuing our lives as our Savior. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And it was that love that reached into every single one of our lives and rescued us from the places we were in and from the decisions that some of us were making. It was that Love that rescued us. He is our Savior. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus praise this morning and then you can be seated. Let's thank our musicians for blessing us with their gift this morning, bringing us into worship. We want to thank them for that too. Well, what a great morning we're having together. Jesus is here, the Holy Spirit is here, and I believe in this moment, He is here today to teach us, and to instruct us, and to encourage us, and to bring us into a greater place of freedom and life in Him. It's wonderful, you know, to be a Christian. It's wonderful to to know Jesus, because when we know Jesus, our life is never diminishing, Our our life is never regressing. Yes, we may be getting older, but we're getting better looking. We really are. We really are when we get older. We're getting better looking. Don't be too hard on yourself. Just put a bit more makeup on, men. You know, the makeup will fill the cracks. It'll be fine. Don't worry. It'll all be good. It really will. But you know what? Life with Jesus isn't regressing. It's not going back to try and find out what we did back then. Jesus lives in us and we live in Him. And as a result of that, we can go forward with great excitement and expectancy. Yes, life can be difficult. There can be circumstances that we face that, that are hard. But in those times of difficulty and indecision and confusion... I believe that Jesus comes alongside us and is with us to show us the way through. Do you believe that? David said this in that wonderful psalm, Psalm 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Oh, to be led by the Lord. Oh, to be led through this confusing world with many roads that lead to nowhere. Oh, to have a righteous road to be led on. And that is our privilege it really is. You can go out into your world. You can go out out of this place and, and face next week knowing... And being confident of this, that you're walking on a righteous road, on a straight path, not a twisted, difficult road that doesn't go anywhere. Yes, the, the road of, of that Jesus talks about is a narrow road, and sometimes it is fraught with difficulty. But I'm telling you now, it's a righteous road that leads to blessing and has life at the end of it. The broad road that everybody seems to follow these days leads to destruction. And that's where we come in to try and help them get onto the road that, that Jesus has brought us onto. But we are being led in a path of righteousness for His namesake. Amen? Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 13, where Jesus is on the eve of being crucified. He's in an upper room with his disciples. It's a very private moment, and he had led them into this place. This was not a spontaneous moment. This was a pre-planned moment. This meeting in this private room with his disciples on this night would shock them. They would see things that they never thought they would see. They would, they would have to encounter things and face things that they never thought they would encounter in seeing Jesus do what he did. But this was a pre-planned moment. This, we have said, was the pinnacle moment of their life with Christ as disciples. They had seen many miracles. Many, many miracles. But we concluded a few weeks ago that miracles are great. Miracles are important. Miracles set people free. But miracles don't change our character. Miracles don't change our heart. Only the love of God, as found in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that Paul talks about, can really penetrate our heart, our lives, and our character. But the wonderful thing I find about God is this. He doesn't lay any expectation on us that we can't fulfill. He places that love in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit so that as we give it access to life and everything that life throws at us, we become more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. God's given you everything everything that you need for life. Peter talks about this in one of his epistles when he said, we've been given great and precious promises and we've been given everything. Imagine this. Imagine this. You have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness and it's in you as a result of the love of God being shed abroad in your heart. Sometimes you, like I, look around inside and we think, where is this love? What's happening? You know, you're making all of these responses and reactions to a watching world and pressure gets on you and, and life gets tough and you, you struggle to find this, this love, but it's there. It is there because God's Word is true. It doesn't lie. It's been shed abroad in your heart By the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. Check it out. Now we have to access this love. We have to give this love more and more room. We have to let this love be the director and the guide in all of our dealings in life. If we're going to be successful. And God wants us to be successful. And God wants us to live a life that reflects Him and fulfills us and unfurls and, 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 and His intention and plan and purpose for us. And it's as we give this love, room, and access to all areas that we'll find the success that we hunger for, that we look for in all of the wrong places. The answer is love. You want a successful life? The answer is love. The ingredient, the critical ingredient in any church, in every church, is love. You can have everything. If you haven't got love in a church, I'm telling you, it's going nowhere. We're going nowhere. But with this love, with this love, an entire city can change. With this love, a community can change. You can change. I can change. A nation can change when we access this love, miracles don't cut it. You can have miracles. You can get impressed by the, the visible things that miracles do. And we, were, we are a church that believes in the God that performs miracles, aren't we? But in and of themselves, miracles will not change your heart, will not change your character. These men had seen astounding miracles for three years as they'd walked with Jesus, not just eight hours a day, 24-7. Jesus rocks up in Peter's mother-in-law's house. First of all, she's laid out flat in bed with a fever. He raises her, and then the entire city descends on Peter's mother-in-law's house and its healing crusade all night long, 24-7. Demoniacs are being healed. The insane are going free. And then he goes on. He raises the dead. He turns water into wine. He feeds multitudes of people with a meager loaf, loaf of bread. He walks on water. You know, he's doing incredible things. Their eyes are seeing and encountering Miracle after miracle after miracle, but on the eve of this, the greatest night of Jesus' life, in the afternoon, the disciples are having an argument. They're arguing. Jesus isn't there. They think he doesn't know about it. It's outside of earshot of Jesus, and they're arguing and contending with one, with one another, and this is the argument. Who's gonna be the greatest? You see, they'd seen all the miracles, but their hearts were still hard. They'd seen all the wondrous things, all the all of the displays of God's power, but the power and the miraculous intervention and all of the signs and wonders that Jesus did, as good as what they were, didn't penetrate the hard hearts that the, the disciples had. They were arguing arguing, who's the greatest? Well, I want to sit on his right hand. I want to sit on his left hand. I want to be the one that succeeds Jesus. But Jesus was leading them to a night in the privacy of a room away from the crowds to show them what it was all about, what it was all about. You see, if it was about miracles, and this will help you Because from time to time, you'll get somebody stand up and, you know, they'll claim all of this stuff about miracles and doing this, that, and the other. And they'll get a crowd and they'll get a following. But I'm telling you now, be careful. Be careful. Don't be deluded. Don't be drawn in. Check everything out by the Word of God. If it was about miracles, the children of Israel would have been mature, strong, and able to comprehend God's Word and would have had a healthy relationship with Him. They were in Egypt for 400 years. God delivers them through His servant Moses. He humbles Pharaoh, you know, grinds him to fine powder Like that anointing just leveled that whole thing. He leads them through the sea, closes the sea down on the Egyptians. They see him no more. And then for 40 years, God performs miracle after miracle on a daily basis. There's a visible pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day representing the sign of God's pleasure and God's glory going with them. And they saw miracle after miracle, and then they got to the moment where God wanted them to enter into the promised land that He promised Abraham, and you know what they did? They rebelled against God. They turned around and said, we would have been better off in Egypt. We wish you hadn't brought us from from Egypt, from our our slave masters. They took better care of us than you. We we liked the garlic and, and the pork in Egypt. Imagine that. Imagine that. Miracles don't change you. Miracles can just leave your heart hard. Miracles can just leave you familiar with God. But it's the love of God penetrating into our hearts that will really make the difference. Please, I'm not talking about miracles. I rejoice in miracles. We have, this whole church has a wonderful history of miracles. Your prayers are going to be heard by God. You're going to understand that. You're going to see miracle after miracle. But please, please, miracles come with a warning. They can make you arrogant. They can make you proud. They can make you feel as if you're the man, you're the woman. You've arrived everybody's got to look to you because you've got a special anointing be warned when God starts to use you when God starts to answer your prayers be warned of that old enemy call pride Jesus carried it so beautifully the anointing Jesus carried it so amazingly no ounce of pride within him no superstardom He said, if you want to become the greatest, you've got to become the least. He was the greatest and he became the least. And on this night, in this room, he was revealing, revealing that to them. Amen? Revealing it to them. Showing them what the kingdom was all about. Now, we may get to some of that today. But I was reading a, a story recently about a man called Andre Thomas. And Andre Thomas was a Hungarian refugee. I found it quite powerful, quite moving, this story, when I read it. Hungarian refugee, and he had been imprisoned in the Soviet Union, in the Soviet prison, for 55 years. In 1945, they imprisoned him. And in the year 2000, things were easing with with pressure in, in Russia. Political pressure was easing. And they decided to release their political prisoners. But for 55 years, this man had been incarcerated in a prison. And when they came to release him... In the year 2000, they didn't really know what to do with him because he was talking gibberish. He didn't have any understanding as they thought. And they wanted to privately do away with him because he was an embarrassment to them. But then somebody said, why don't we, why don't we get in a Hungarian psychiatrist to check him out to see if he's all there? to see what's going on with him. So they employed a psychiatrist from Hungary, and he sat with him for a number of days and began to speak to him. And then he gave his report to the authorities. And he said, this man isn't mad. He hasn't lost his mind. He's not insane as you think. He speaks an ancient dialect of Hungarian, and his mind is in a good way. He looks the way he looks because for 55 years you put him in solitary confinement and anybody would look like that if they have been incarcerated like this man. If you release him to us, we will make him well again. We'll restore him. So by the end of the week, papers were signed and Andre Thomas was wheeled out of that prison. On Encountering Freedom his first request came. What do you think that request was? Because when they heard the request, they were completely shocked. They thought he was going to ask for the fineries of life. This man had been denied a staple diet for 55 years. This man had been denied good clothing and warm conditions, all of the things that we enjoy. This man had been denied and now he comes with his first request and they were completely flabbergasted when they heard, for it, heard it. He said this, please, please, may I have a mirror? He wanted to see the countenance of his face. He hadn't seen his own countenance for 55 years, and he just wanted to hold a mirror in his hand. He did not want food for his body. He did not want clothing to keep him warm. He simply wanted to see who he was and who he had become. They brought a mirror to him, and he held it up for the fraction of a second, And as he looked and as that mirror reflected exactly who Andre Thomas was and who he had become, he had to turn it over. He could not look at himself and at who he had become. 1945. Resilient, strong, healthy, handsome, everything to live for, a political activist that wanted to make the world a better place, year 2000, broken, worn down, at life's end, hanging his head, sobbing, uncontrollably, because now he was faced with the reality of 55 years up close and personal what a Russian prison had done to this man. It had marred him and scarred him and broken him and he could not look on his own countenance. He could not look into that mirror. His mirror like your mirror his mirror, like the mirror that we wake up to every day, reveals the imperfections. It reveals the, the, the days and the months and the years and life's toll on our bodies. You look at it and the one thing a mirror does, it perfectly reflects what is in front of it. And you can't deny it, and I can't deny it. I've got hairs coming down my nose, out of my ears, and I'm losing it on my head. I've got bushy eyebrows. It's there, friends. Whether I like it or not, it's there. And that's what a mirror does. It accurately and perfectly reflects that which stands in front of it. And when Andre Thomas saw the brokenness of his life, he had to put that mirror down and weep bitterly. My question is this, is there a mirror for the soul? There's a mirror for the outer. There's a mirror for the, 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 the outer life that we live. There's a mirror that shows us that our life is regressing in some senses physically and aging, and getting older, but is there a mirror for the soul? I want to tell you today, there is a mirror for the soul. But it is not like the mirror that Andre held in his hands. It is not like a mirror that you wake up to every morning and wish that you could, you know, alter the nose and and take a little bit off here and there. This mirror is the perfect mirror. It's the mirror that James the Apostle talks about in James chapter 1 where he says, it's the perfect law of liberty. This is the mirror of God's Word. And if we hear it and do it, great will be our reward. It's a wonderful mirror, God's Word. It is not there to reveal your flaws. It is not there to remind you of a shameful past. It's there to show you that you're more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. It's there to show you that greater is He that is in you than he that's in the world. This mirror doesn't remind you of former sins. This mirror mirror reflects that there is no condemnation for those that are found in Christ Jesus. That's the mirror that we look into Moses came with a mirror to the people in the Old Testament they were called the Ten Commandments and the people could not fulfill those commandments it was a reflection to them that all of their work all of their effort would never be able to deal with the sin be able to deal with the issues that they had in life it was a mirror of law But the mirror that James talks about is a mirror of freedom, a mirror of liberty, a mirror that brings you into a wonderful newness of life in Christ. What mirror have you been looking into this week? Have you been looking into and treasuring the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of freedom that reflects all of the beauty and all of the character of God that is in you? Or have you been going back to that old mirror that you once were characterized by? If you have, there is no longer any reason why you should draw your life source from that place. You've been given this perfect law of liberty, of freedom. Paul talks about this, this same mirror that we're to look into in 2 Corinthians. Let me read it to you. What a wonderful verse this is. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says this, But we all with unveiled face, face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We have been given access into this place whereby we can look into the mirror, the image of Christ. And this mirror has a transforming effect the mirror at home, the mirror that, that Andre Thomas looked into, had nothing more than the ability to reflect who he was and who he had become. But this mirror, God's Word, the image of Christ, does not reflect who you've been or who you've become. It's, it, it reveals who you are to be in Him. And it has a transforming effect on your life. It really does. A transforming effect on your life. Jesus, on this night, brings his disciples into an upper room. In the day they'd been arguing, who's the greatest? Remember we said, for them, it was all about who's going to be the one? Who's going to be the one that everybody is subservient to. You see, it's all about what mirror you're getting your reflection from. It's, it's all about what source you're drawing your values of life from. It really is. Are you drawing them from yourself? Remember we talked about the, the, the sources of authority that people depend upon. The first source of authority that people rely on is self self. There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is destruction. That's what the proverb says. But the way that seems right to a man seems so right to him that he pursues it. There's nobody outside of him that can bring instruction to him. He is a law unto himself. I'll do it my way and my way is the right way. And he pursues what he does but proverb says That source of authority is faulty. Don't rely on it. Jesus talked about that in the New Testament. He said, there's two men building a house. One man, a foolish man, builds his house on sand. It looks as great and as grand as any other house, but the foundation is faulty. Where he's drawing his source from is faulty. The wise man builds on the rock, which is Christ. Not only does he hear what Jesus says, but he goes ahead and does what he says. And Jesus said, I will liken him to a wise man. The storm comes to both men who are building, who are drawing from different sources of authority. And the wise man gets hit with the storm the same as the foolish man gets hit with the storm. But the foolish man's life comes down because of a wrong source of authority, and the reliance upon that source. But the wise man's house stands not because he's a great builder, not because he's used great expensive materials, but just because he's heard what Jesus has said, but has not just heard it, not just heard it, but has done it. Then there's not only the source of self, there's a source of culture. Culture, we talked about that. Culture culture is a source of authority. Well, you know, everybody else says this, so I'll say it. Everybody else believes this, so I'll blend in. It must be right because the majority say it. It's easier to sw- to swim downstream than it is upstream and you just become like a chameleon. You've got no conviction. You've got lots of opinions, but what are those opinions based on? Just culture. Everybody says it. Listen, I don't want to, you know, I don't I don't want to be a pain in the neck to anybody. I'll just blend in and you become like a chameleon. And you 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 you, you You take on the color of the culture that you're in. And the chameleon is brilliant. It can be on a tree and it'll blend into the brown bark of the tree. It can be in a desert on a sand and it'll become like yellow sand and it's undetectable. No, the church is not to blend into culture, the church is to be a light in this world. Jesus said that. He really did. You're the light of the world, he said. You're the light of the world. Culture can be, cu- culture can be a source of authority. Tradition is another, th- another, another source. Well, we've done it this way for, you know, forever and a day. My g- grandfather did it this way. My father did it this way. And guess what? We're doing it this way. And there becomes an arrogance and a stubbornness, and people dig their heels in. Tradition is a source of authority that people rely on and people will fight you over. And Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, you nullify the Word of God because of your traditions. Your traditions. Tradition was more important to them than the Word that was embodied in the person of Jesus before them. And he could do no mighty work because they held on to their traditions. And then finally, the final source of authority that has to be ours is Jesus and his word. If you hear my word and do it, I will liken you to a wise man who built his house on the rock The wisdom isn't in the hearing of it. It would be easy. It would be easy if that was the case. The wisdom comes in the hearing and the doing. In fact, when you look at James chapter 1, James is just encouraging the church. He's saying, listen, don't just be hearers of this word. Don't just be hearers. Be doers of the word that you hear. As you look into the mirror, he says, if you go away from looking into the mirror having forgot what you look like, you're just like that man that hears the Word but doesn't do anything with it. When you look into the Word and you see who you've been made to be, you get the wonderful, wonderful blessing of discovering that life that Christ has given you. Now, Jesus, on this night, with these disciples in John chapter 13, was showing them who they could be. He was showing them, not who they were. He wasn't in the room debating with them. Isn't it great? You haven't got a debate about whether God exists, whether Jesus is real. Whether the Bible is true. You haven't got to debate anything. Just do what he did on this night. He didn't debate with them around the table. He just demonstrated. Demonstrate Don't debate it. As a Christian, there may be times where that's necessary. But the majority of times as a Christian, we are called not to debate We're just called to demonstrate it. Just go ahead and do it. Just show them the real thing. Show them what it's about. Just unfurl His life through your actions, through your words, through your gestures. Let Him be seen. And Jesus sees an opportunity that they'd ignored because you see, they had been arguing as to who was the greatest. And because th- this argument and this tension was so real in the room, they couldn't even serve one another by what? doing the customary thing to wash one another's feet. And because, listen, this is very simple, but it's very powerful. Because they couldn't serve one another, they couldn't serve Christ. It's really simple. If we cannot serve one another... Let me tell you, you'll never serve Jesus. Now you can act as if you're serving Jesus. We, I can act all I want. But if I cannot serve you and you can't serve me, you'll never serve Jesus. And they couldn't serve one another, so they couldn't serve him. They couldn't wash one another's feet. And therefore the one person that should have had his feet washed was Neglected. One man once said this, which is quite powerful, I think. The way that you love the person that you like the least is the way that you love God the most. And it's very true. And if we understood that at the core of our being, I think we would want to love people a lot more than maybe what we do. If my actions and my words to another person is a reflection of how I love God, which it really is then maybe I wouldn't say what I say and do what I do. Maybe I would hold back on some of the things I say and hold back on some of the things I do. Do you understand what I'm saying? The way that we love people we like the least very often is the way that we love God the most. Jesus brings the guys into the rooms. He says, listen, I'm not going to waste an opportunity like this. This is too good to waste. This is a display of greatness, and he takes the most menial task. And he, 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 he brilliantly, as he always did, took something so menial and revealed the kingdom of God and the heart of God right through the most menial task in the room that nobody wanted to touch. The opportunity to Jesus, he seized it gets down on his knees, lays aside his garment, gets the towel and the bowl and starts to wash their feet one by one. And then he says this in verse 15. Just three verses we're going to look at. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in a few moments. He says this to them, which is wonderful. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Do you know, I want to do as he has done. I want my walk to follow his walk. We won't be able to follow his walk in every way that he walked but there are many things that Jesus did as an example for us to follow. He said, I'm doing this. You've got to understand. I am doing this as an example for you to follow. I'm not debating with you whether this is right or wrong. I'm not criticizing you for your argument this afternoon that you don't think I know anything about. I'm just demonstrating to you what's required. I'm just demonstrating to you a revelation, a reflection of who I've created you to be. You can't bring your old procedures into, 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 into where I'm taking you. You can't bring those old attitudes that defined you before. You can't bring how you've been raised and how you've been conditioned by this world into the kingdom or into the cause that I'm taking you into. Don't worry about it. I'm going to put such an explosive love in your heart that by the, by the end of it all and by the power of my Holy Spirit, you won't even be able to recognize yourself anymore. And even in the harshest, most difficult, most darkest of times, you'll be able to stand, you'll be able to go through because love will conquer all things awesome awesome you see God never lays an expectation upon his people that they can't fulfill because he will equip us and his expectation is so amazing so incredible that if we were to understand it we would be blown away but the bible says you will do exceedingly abundantly he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think with our lives he really will and he puts this love before them and he displays it and he washes them then in verse 16 he says to them most assuredly i say to you a servant is not greater than his master nor is he who sent, sent greater than nor nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him servant is not greater than his master, boys, why are you trying to go the route that you're going on? Why are you trying to pursue things that are not in my way? I'm your master, and if I'm on on my knees on the floor washing your feet, what does that tell you about the way I want you to follow me? It's not pursuing greatness. It's not competing with one another. It's not jockeying for position. It's laying your life down serving, loving. Verse 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, it's one thing knowing them. And I'm sure most of us in the room know them. But the blessing, the blessing gets unlocked The moment that you step into it, the moment that you decide to do it, that's when the blessing gets unlocked that Jesus promised to these disciples. Blessed are you if you do them. The next few hours ahead of them just shows that they'd forgotten everything he said. Aren't you encouraged by that? I, I tell you now, the honesty of the Bible is so beautiful. It's so wonderful. They go into a garden and Jesus kneels and prays. And three times he said, please tarry with me. I only need you for an hour And what happens while he's working, sweating, blood, breaking his heart. They're sleeping and resting. The Son of God is working. They're resting and relaxing in sleep. It's a message of salvation, friends. It shows their failure. It shows his forgiveness. It shows their incapacity to do anything. It shows his abundance to fulfill what God had Called him to do. Absolutely awesome. They'd forgotten everything that they'd been taught in the room. And they'd gone back to that old mirror. Where they drawn faulty identities about themselves? Peter raises his sword, goes for the man's head, cuts his ear off. And Jesus, reflecting the kingdom, reflecting the true image of God, takes the man's ear. Says, son, put your sword away. That's not how we do things around here. Let me show you what love does. Puts the ear on his head, heals him. Heals him. Oh, the kingdom of God is completely different to the kingdoms of this world. But I'm telling you now, one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. The love and the glory of God will pervade all of this world and heal and deliver and save. It's another dimension of life impossible for us to get there without him. Without him. But in Him, we can do it. We really can. That love hang on a cross. Read about it. Read about it. Let it flow over your mind and flow over your soul. Who in human history would hang on a cross with nails in his hand and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Love talking. You can cut it, you can criticize it, you can spit upon it, you can whip it, you can beat it to a pulp and torture it in any way that you want to, but all it will come back at you is with forgiveness. Can bury it in the tomb. And then three days later, it'll stand back on its feet and walk in a room. And you having denied it and you having let it down, it'll say, peace be with you. Oh, the love of God is incredible. The love of God is wonderful. And for all of our rejection and all of our rebellion, the love of God comes running and wrapping His arms around us and saying, I love you. I've given myself. To save you I'm for you and not against you. That's what he says. It's wonderful. It really is. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, as I've spoken your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you help us? You are the helper. Jesus, you sent your Holy Spirit, the promise from the Father, to help us, to help us. Lord, you know our broken journey. You know the ups and the downs of life. You know all of the decisions that we make, that we sometimes get it right, sometimes get it wrong. More often than not, may get it wrong than we do right. But, Lord, we feel like those disciples. Oh, please, take us on that journey. With this explosive love, let it take every part of us. Let it recreate. Lord, we pray that we would be like those people in 2 Corinthians where they looked into that wonderful mirror, that transforming effect of your image on their lives. We pray that that would be our experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while our eyes are closed, maybe today you'd, you've never prayed a prayer asking Jesus into your life. And something has spoken to you in this service. I want to say to you, Jesus loves you so much. Probably the majority of us here today know Christ, the Savior and Lord. But maybe you're here today and you've never prayed a prayer. Give me the the, the honor to pray a prayer with you right now. Repeat these these words quietly in your heart and believe them by faith. Something's going to happen in this moment. Peace is going to come into your heart. Your life is going to be made whole. Jesus is going to save you and rescue you. And you're going to know a freedom in him, a relationship with him for the first time on from this moment. I'm going to pray right now. While eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you want me to pray with you, would you quickly lift your hand up? I'll see it. You can put it down. Well done, Paul. Is there one person? That's it. I see your hand, my love. I'm going to pray with you in a minute. Keep your hand up. Is there anybody else? You're a little bit. There's somebody there down by the sound desk. That's it. Well done. Excellent. Let's keep our eyes closed. I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you haven't lifted your hand, but you want to ask Jesus into your heart, just pray this prayer with me. Just say this, Lord Jesus, today I ask you to come into my heart. Please forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Savior. Save me from sin. Lord, I ask you for this new life that only you can give. And for the rest of my life, I pray that I would be able to walk in the security of knowing that you are with me and in me wherever I go. Amen. Amen.